What's up, New York? You're listening to the Empire State Conservative Network Podcast. Hey guys, this next segment is brought to you by the Blackhawk Group. Blackhawk Group offers an unparalleled customer support service combined with top-level classroom installations and equipment servicing. They have years' worth of experience in this field, experience that is unmatched by competitors anywhere. Learn more about Blackhawk Group at www.blackhawkgroupllc.net. Hey everybody, welcome to the Empire State Conservative Network Podcast. This is Pete, and today's show we're going to be discussing big wins that conservatives can take away from Super Bowl weekend. For starters, we're going to be going over President Trump's Face the Nation interview and why I thought he actually did a pretty good job on that, and that's leading up to tomorrow night's State of the Union. Why the Patriots winning was actually a good thing for conservatives across America, a couple of great trolls which I'll get into in just a few minutes. How Susan Collins used a Maine Congresswoman's donation surge after her vote for Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh shows that the left's culture is not winning, and that's going to be what we're going to go over today. So first off, before we get into any of those topics, if you're new to the show, welcome. This show is for New York State conservatives who are sick and tired of being neglected by our local and state officials. You're also tired of being mistreated by friends, family, co-workers who are liberal and quite frankly are ignorant about the facts when it comes to politics, economics, basically just how life works. So let's get into President Trump's interview. We did a, you know, about a 28-minute segment leading up to the Super Bowl with Margaret Brennan on CBS. Apparently, this has been a tradition since he took office. And, you know, I got to tell you, I was not even planning to watch the Super Bowl. I, w- I was maybe 10, 20 minutes before kickoff when I decided, you know what, screw it. I'll watch. I didn't watch it the last year because I was in the process of moving and my cable and everything wasn't set up yet. But uh, this year, I really didn't have interest. I stopped watching about midway through the jet season. And honestly, I'm like a lot of you. Whenever we post a question or comment in the group, by the way, Empire State Conservatives on Facebook, just type that in the search bar, like the group, and you'll be kept up to date and everything we've got going on. But a lot of you stopped watching the NFL over the past few years because of all the SJWBS. And quite frankly, too, I was not happy last night with you know, the, you know shoving it down your throat. I get it's Black History Month. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday was a week or two back. I understand that. And he's a man who should be revered. He was a good overall man. He did have his character flaws and issues with adultery and things of that nature. But overall, he was a net positive for society. With that said, you know, cramming that down people's throats just to appease the players in a very vocal minority, there's no pun intended there. It's not just minorities that that's targeted towards. It's for a very small percentage of players and people who follow the NFL who have really spoken out about police brutality and social injustice. And quite frankly, we are probably in the least racist part of human history, not just in this country, but around the world. That's not to say that racism doesn't exist. That's not to say that there haven't been instances of police brutality that weren't warranted. But the more you look at statistics and you kind of disconnect the the passion and the victim mentality from it, the more you'll see that uh, police brutality is way down. In fact, it's a lot more likely that police shoot or severely injure a white criminal or accused criminal instead of a black one. And maybe that has something to do with the social and even career ramifications that that could entail if they turn out to be in the wrong there. But it's way down. And, you know, a lot of this is unjustified. And the people who look at Colin Kaepernick and some of these players kneeling and standing up, it's it's a disgrace. And to that point, um, regarding the kneeling players, President Trump believed that the recent boost in NFL ratings proves that he was right 
that anti-racism protests were souring Americans of professional football. Again, I know that was the case for me, even though I'm an avid Jet fan and I have been an avid Jet fan for most of my life. I haven't really watched in the last few years. And yes, them sucking has a lot to do with that. But also just a sour taste in my mouth, knowing that there's going to be some aspect of the program that's going to have some SJW bullcrap in there that I have no interest in hearing or watching. I'm not racist. Most people watching the NFL are not racist. They just want to get away from everything. Entertainment, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's comedy, or whether it's a movie, whether it's a television show. You want to disconnect from reality. You don't want to be um, thinking about politics and race, racial tensions 24-7, 365. There's a time and place for that, like right now. It's a time and place like that for you and me. But uh, you want to get away from that once in a while. You can't constantly be bombarded by it. And when people want to watch a three-hour football game, they want to tune out from their lives. They want to just sit back and relax for a few hours and enjoy a good game with either, in this case, the two top teams in the NFL or throughout the regular season or maybe even into the postseason watching your hometown team play. So Trump said, and, he, and I quote, a lot of people in the NFL have been calling and thanking him regarding uh, his effort in, in, to reform the criminal justice system and grant clemency to a number of federal prisoners serving long sentences for drug crimes. If you remember, a month or a month and a half or so back, there was that bipartisan legislation. And for the most part, I think that's a good thing. I mean, if you're a nonviolent drug offender, yeah, you shouldn't have had him in the first place. But at the same time, I'm very libertarian when it comes to legalizing just about everything. And while, yes, there probably would be an slight increase in deviant behavior, um, people driving under the influence and things of that nature, I think in time and not too long a time, it wears off. It's just like, and I've used this example before, it's just like when you're in college or before you go to college, if you even went, and you were drinking underage before you turned 21. And it's very exhilarating because you're, you're putting a giant middle finger up to the man, to the government, and you're breaking the law and there's something very exhilarating about that. But then when you turn 21, you could just walk into any old grocery store or liquor store and buy whatever you want. It doesn't really seem to have that same kind of clout for most people. I know for me, you know, my drinking went way down after college. It's not to say that I don't. It's just to say that it's not nearly as prevalent an aspect of my life as it was when I was there and before I turned 21. So... I thought that his answer about that was good because, yes, I mean, that's a giant thing. And he has addressed that. So, again, these calls that he's racist and things of that nature. I know in the interview, Margaret Brennan brought up that he was called racially insensitive by a uh, one either a North or South Carolinian, I forget which congressperson, uh, I, think is, I think it was Tim Scott. And, you know, he didn't, luckily, he didn't, you know, say anything. He didn't shoot venom at the guy. He just said, you know what? You know, he's entitled to his opinion, but we just passed this criminal justice reform, again, pointing into that, and I've never had any animus towards anyone of any race. I'm all about merit. I thought that was a very good answer and well done on his part. Sometimes in the past, when somebody, when they say, oh, you know, so-and-so said this about you, he goes after them, and in some cases he did. He mentioned General Mattis and how he he told him to send in the resignation letter and to resign because he wasn't happy with how things were going in the Middle East, and... You know, you think what you will about Jim Mattis, you know, obviously guy's a badass, but, you know, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, and I'm not going to, you know, give give somebody venom just because, 
there was a badass that was in charge of the military leading up to that. Um, in terms of the wall and, and the government shutdown and the potentiality of another government shutdown, the president was also very critical of Nancy Pelosi and good as he should be. And I hope he is tomorrow night in the State of the Union because she was terrible about this. And again, some of this is his fault. Some of this, maybe it was arrogance, like, like Evan thinks here at Empire State Conservative Network. Who knows? But he did not try and get this kind of funding for the wall in the last couple of years. He signed these terrible omnibus packages when he did have these majorities. And because they lost more seats than I'm sure they anticipated, they have no power because any legislation has to get through the House, which the Democrats have a majority in right now, before it can get to the Senate, before it gets to his desk. So... That's a big issue. But he said, and I quote about Pelosi, I think that Pelosi was very rigid, which I would expect, but I think she is very bad for our country. She knows that you need a barrier. She knows that we need border security. She wanted to win a political point. I happen to think it's very bad politics because basically she wants open borders. She doesn't mind human trafficking or she wouldn't do this. I mean, this is the number one thing about the Democratic uh, the platform that really gets to a lot of people. You know, we don't have to get too de deep into the immigration issue, but yes, there is human trafficking going on. When 80% of women who are attempting to cross the border illegally are, to are raped or physically or sexually abused, and they're told that heading into it, I mean, that's a terrible situation. These are not good people taking them across. When Mexican and other South American governments and Central American governments are sending their criminals our way, because they don't know or want to have to deal with them and keep putting these people behind bars, that's not a good look. And while it might be blown out of proportion just a little bit by conservative media, it's still an issue that needs to be addressed. Our sovereignty needs to be respected, and we need our immigration process and laws to be respected. Now, one can argue that they need to be um, reformulated and make it a little easier. You know, we had Larry Sharp on not too long ago to discuss maybe having a few Ellis Island-type ports of entry at the southern border, but, you know, Evan and I firmly believe that we do need a border barrier and we need these ports so that we can easily process these people and see whether or not they would be good to let into the country and whether or not it's a viable thing to do. Um, so that's something we can discuss, but overall, I thought he did very well in this interview and I thought it was good leading into the Super Bowl. So I want to get into it and say, it. you know, if you live in New York and you're a football fan in any way, shape or form, either you like the Giants the Jets, or the Bills. And that's if you actually like a New York State team. <coughs> Excuse me, I know Bills fans will say, well, the Jets and Giants, they play at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, and therefore they're not technically a New York team. The Bills are the only New York team, whatever. I'm a Jets fan. I've been a Jets fan for the last 20 years or so. And they got into football a little later on in life than most people, but I, I've been a Jets fan for about 20 years. And I despise the Patriots. Why? Because they win the AFC East year after year. The Jets won one year, and that was the year that uh, Brady broke his leg and went down early, and Matt Castle actually had a good season, but the Jets went 11-5, and and the Patriots went 10-6, and six, and they didn't go anywhere that year. So, let's start like that one season. The Patriots win the division every single year. They get to the, the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl practically every single year. Under the Belichick-Brady regime, they've won six Super Bowl championships. Obviously, just like when the Yankees were the evil empire from the late 90s to the early 2000s, I'm not, I'm not a fan of them. Just to tell you, I'm not a fan of the Patriots at all. Anytime I can root against them, I will. Now, it wasn't until I saw this awful Daily Beast article by Corbin Smith. Please tweet and email him. 
uh, and tell him how bad this article is. But um, he wrote about how the Patriots were America's MAGA or white nationalist team. So I'm going to read you some quotes from it, and then I'm going to give you some analysis, which is funny because everything he says is just vehemently wrong. You know, so the Patriots, if you guys didn't know, before I get into it, they had this chant, we are still here, we are still here, the week or so leading up to the Super Bowl. And that's because earlier on in the season, they got off to a rocky start, Brady wasn't looking that great, and everyone was starting to question whether the team and the, and the Brady-Belichick dynasty was finally going downhill. Then obviously they turned it on, and here we are. But now I'm going to quote here. Obviously, Brady is referring to his aging, decrepit, cheating-ass squad's progression to the big game. Oh, biased much? Uh, but imagine you didn't know anything about football or who Tom Brady was or anything like that. You would think that you were watching some square-jawed grifter throwing red meat to the hogs at an alt-right rally, screaming at the libs who thought Nancy Pelosi and her gender warriors are going to keep decent American folks from being here. Of course, even if you do know stuff about Brady, you may still think he's on his way to pursuing this line of grifting. He flashed a red MAGA hat, like that kid with Nathan Phillips. I don't even remember the kid's name because it's ridiculous. An accoutrement that is going more and more, that is gaining, excuse me, more and more traction as a symbol of white nationalism in America. In his locker back in the primary days. He wasn't the only one. Patriots coach Bill Belichick wrote a goddamn letter to Trump, I'm quoting here, right before the end of the campaign that basically amounted to an endorsement that Trump then read on stage. And Pat's own Robert Kraft is also his pal. It was even shouted out at Trump's pre-inauguration dinner in D.C. for his most deep-pocketed donors. The whole institution of Boston sports, and I was getting into Boston sports, not just the Patriots, from root to stem, is tinged with the sort of racism that brought Trump into office. The Boston Red Sox were the last MLB team to desegregate, Jesus Christ, more than a decade after Jackie Robinson entered the league. The Sox's first owner, Tom Yawkey, was an infamous racist whose speech was peppered with racial slurs. Larry Bird became a symbol of white resentment during his time in the NBA, his jersey appearing as a symbol of white entitlement to black spaces in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. His largest teammate, Kevin McHale, was spotted at a Trump rally during the election. Now, some good points, and I got these from the Federalist paper, so I can't take credit for doing the research here, but if Boston is a racist city, like this person alleges, based on their history, which, by the way, you know, regardless of when the Red Sox desegregated or what their first owner was like, neither and none of the people involved in that, whether it's the owner or anybody involved with the organization that held segregated beliefs, is they're no longer alive and they no longer have anything to do with the team today. It has nothing to do with the players, the staff, the front office, or anybody. Why that matters is ridiculous. It's a stupid um, victim card that they like to play using history that, yes, segregation was a bad thing. Yes, slavery was a bad thing. Yes, racist was and still is a bad thing. But just because a team or a city had less than noble beginnings on that front doesn't mean that it still does today. It's been corrected just about everywhere in this country. And yet, we're supposed to feel guilty about people who we've never met, who died decades before we were born, said and did, back in the early to mid-1900s. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, but on top of that, to defend Boston, which I don't like to do, but if they were so racist, why did about 61% vote for Hillary Clinton in 2016? So 61% of Boston Knights voted for Hillary Clinton during the 2016 presidential election. Why did former President Obama get 62% in 2008? And why did he get 61% when he ran for re-election in 2012? I mean, the list goes on and on. I hate also the stigma for Brady, for Belichick, for Robert Kraft, 
for anybody, whether they're part of an evil empire team like the Patriots or not, that if you're a Trump supporter, if you're a conservative, you're a bad person. You're a white supremacist. You're the team of white supremacy. Are you kidding me? Just because they have different political beliefs than the vast majority of the mainstream media and the Daily Beast, which obviously is a very left-leaning publication if you didn't already know that. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. But the great part about this, you know, which is when I switched my allegiance, this was on Sunday when I first found out about this article. So obviously I wanted the Rams to win. I'm a Jets fan. I want to see Brady cry. That's what I usually like to enjoy. When I read this, I couldn't in good conscience with the Rams. I know... I know it's one of their, it's their second season, I believe, in L.A., and they have such a young team and a complete team, and they might just be the team to do it. It's a rematch, I think, of when Brady won his first Super Bowl with the Patriots. But, I mean, stuff like this that turns the tide, and for the first time in my life, I voted for the New England Patriots. I Not voted. I rooted for the New England Patriots. I did. And a great F you to them. It was in the third quarter when Tom Brady called the play and it was heard very loudly on television from the on-field mics. Reagan! Reagan! And all it was was a run to the right and uh, Republicans are the right wing, so get it? It was a giant F you and it was magical to see that. You know, Tony Romo was laughing about it and saying, oh, that's definitely what that means. And of course... Right after he yelled it and they ran the play, that's exactly what ended up happening. It was great. It was great. Just a giant FU on national television watched by millions of people. With all the SJW stuff telling you that you should feel bad about America's past, even though you and most likely your ancestors and your descendants have absolutely nothing to do with slavery or segregation. It was absolutely outstanding. So I was happy. I mean, it was a terrible game to watch. 13-3, 10 of the last point scored in the fourth quarter and like midway through the fourth quarter at that so very slow and awful game but that redeemed it for me because I was thinking of turning it off in the third quarter when it was three zip pats it was almost unwatchable when I heard that I kept watching and I'm glad I did and for the first time in my life I was glad that Tom Brady and the New England Patriots won a Super Bowl because even though yes I'm a Jets fan and I'm supposed to root against them because you know that's what Jets fans do. They root against teams that are in their division, that are doing better than them. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a bigger issue. This is a you know, political issue. This is a social issue. Um, this is conservative values versus liberal values. Liberals, they'll, they'll crap all over you. They'll eat you for lunch. And they don't care. Um, they'll make you look like a white supremacist and a racist and a misogynist and all these things that you're not just because you think differently than them. Just because you look at rationale and facts over emotion and feelings. And I'm glad that not only the Patriots came out on the top, but they used aspects of former um, looking, you know, they're looked at like, you know, right wing people like Ronald Reagan. He's looked at very badly in the eyes of the American people. And it's funny, um, you know, I, I recently, my brother graduated, he got a master's degree from Emory in uh, Georgia. And I went down there and I missed the first day that the rest of my family was there because I had to work. And um, they went to the Carter Library, the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library they have down there. And they were talking about how great it was. And I mean, it's a presidential library, so I'm sure it was pretty cool, regardless of who the president was and whatever. But then we got into a discussion at dinner about who the best president in uh, the last 30, 40 years was. And everyone thought it was Jimmy Carter or Bill Clinton, which was really funny to me because it, the clear choice in the last 30 to 40 years is Ronald Reagan. But... Uh, Obviously, he doesn't get the credit that's due. He's looked at like, you know, he's a right-wing nut. And I'm just glad that the Patriots came out on top here. 
This next segment is brought to you by Items for All Occasions. Items for All Occasions specializes in helping you sync up with what you need for your event's promotional needs. Whether it's announcements, cards, giveaways, invitations, tchotchkes, or video books, they have you covered. Learn more about Items for All Occasions at www.itemsforalloccasions.com. The last thing I want to end on today on a much lighter note, um, but it just shows that uh, conservatives are going to win the culture and may not feel or look that way if you look at mainstream um, news news channels and you look at their social media and you look at the articles and blogs that they put out but we're winning guys we, we are um, I, I think that the democrats are in for a rude awakening in 2020 not just at the federal level with the presidential election but also i think at a lot of the local and state levels where they think they have traction because they flipped some seats during the midterms there and especially in this state i'm hoping in this state and that's what we're here for but um main republican congresswoman susan collins made a majority of her donations after she voted for justice brett kavanaugh and they came from out-of-state sources. So this is according to Time Magazine. Records show that she had the best fundraising quarter of her career after she delivered a pivotal vote that helped seat Brett Kavanaugh on the United States Supreme Court. Um, after announcing her decision to vote in favor of Kavanaugh's nomination during a speech on the Senate floor in early October, Collins raised $1.8 million in the final quarter of 2018. FEC records show that of the nearly $900,000 Collins received from individual donors who contributed more than $200 to her campaign, just $19,000 of that came from individuals with main addresses. So that's great news because it shows that we are supporting people at the local level, not just in our own state, because let's face it, we didn't do that in our own state, but conservatives everywhere are doing that in other states where they feel that they need a representative uh, who is a Republican or who is a conservative in some capacity. The fact that she made about you know, seventy-nine to eighty thousand—I'm uh, sorry, seventy-seventy-nine thousand to eight, seven hundred ninety thousand to eight hundred thousand um, dollars—you know—from individual donors contributed more than two hundred dollars out of state just goes to show that. She did something for this culture. She made a huge impact. It wasn't just uh, it wasn't just putting a conservative on the Supreme Court. It had a lot more to do with that. I, I didn't think that Kavanaugh was a great candidate to begin with, but at the end of the day, after the way they attacked him and his family for something he clearly didn't do, um, and it's more than been verified. I mean, Blasey Ford's uh, ex-boyfriend said that she used to go on planes all the time when they dated in the 1990s and on propeller planes that were very dangerous at that. And she had no problem. In fact, she enjoyed them. And a lot of the things she said that she scarred about were never mentioned to anybody. Even the people that she named in her letter to, you know, Suzanne Feinstein and some other people, those people denied ever being told about this. And they were Democrats. Um, she lied about never having gone through training or giving training to pass an FBI lie detector test. I mean, she's a very shady character. And then, of course, she raised, I think, over a million dollars. It might have been more than a million dollars. I forget the exact figure. But all of that from GoFundMe was gone the second that she was out of the limelight. And no one knows what's going to happen. She's writing a book right now, I think, about the whole thing. But she's not credible. She's not. And that's not to say that there are you know, thousands or even millions of women who haven't been sexually assaulted and never talked about it or were never able to prove it. And that's a terrible thing. But that being said, she, this man was much more credible 
than she was. It's not the case in all situations, but that's the case in this situation. And the fact that, you know, somebody who was under a lot of pressure by your constituents and by the country to vote against him because of these allegations, the fact that she didn't do that, that she believed in due process, and that she was one of the swing votes to get him nominated to the court, I, I, I'm very happy that she was rewarded um, and, and I hope that we can continue to keep tabs on these politicians, not just local or statewide, but also all around the country. And we can support them when they're up for their races, because if they have the courage to do something like that, you know, she's a woman and she's a Republican, you know, and she's going, obviously she got murdered by her uh, constituents and anybody on the Democratic Party. But I, I think it's great that she stood up for that. I thought that was a big win. I'm glad that that information came out over the weekend, and I hope we can continue to support them. So speaking of support, guys, if you like the show, please give us a five-star review, whether it's on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, a SoundCloud, Stitcher, or on YouTube. It really helps us out. Like our page on Facebook. Just type in Empire State Conservatives. Like the page. You'll stay up to date on all of our stuff. And feel free to visit our website, EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com forward slash donate. Uh, if you can afford just $5 a month, we're making inroads with local and state politicians, and we want to bring them to you. As 2020 gets closer, seats that are up for grabs, we want to bring you the best conservative candidates, not just here downstate, but also upstate and in central New York. We want to bring them to you, let them express their ideas so you know you're making the best decision possible when they're up on your ballot. And also, again, we're trying to bring you the best available content. We we're upping this to five podcasts a week. We're doing multiple blog posts and articles per week. We've got a great team here. And we're doing it right now out of the kindness of our own hearts. Facebook finally is running our ads again. They're, they claim it was a glitch. I don't believe it was a glitch. And despite that, you guys stepped up last week because when I mentioned that to you, you shared our stuff. And we actually had one of our best growth weeks ever last week without any ad spend because, again, our ads had been shut off for the majority of a week because they refused to accept payment from an account that had more than enough money in it. So we, we thank you for that. And if you can just spare five bucks a month to get this Don't Let Fear Take Your Freedom wristband, we have a mailbag every Friday where you can give us questions and topics that we can discuss. Or if you can afford $50 just once, one time, recurring for the entire year. It's not every month. It's $50 one time. It won't be billed until that same day the following year. Not only do you get the wristband, mailbag access, but you will also get a free customized Empire State Conservative Network hoodie. It'll have our logo on the front, your name and number on the back, sizes small to 5XL. You definitely don't want to miss that Miss that on that. They're selling for $60 on our website right now, and we actually just had to order another batch because we we're just about sold out. So we appreciate the support, guys. It's another way you can support us. But have a great rest of the day. Evan and I will be coming back at you tomorrow evening. Have a good one, guys. Hey everybody, it's Evan with Empire State Conservative Network. If you like this episode, please subscribe on iTunes and YouTube and leave us a five-star review. Also, please follow us on social media on Facebook at Empire State Conservatives, on Instagram at GetRedPilledNY, on Twitter at Empire State Cons, on Parlay at Empire State Conservatives. If you'd like to help us improve our shows, you can donate through our website at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com slash donate. We also have some merchandise that will be coming to you soon from our website. If you'd like to work with us in any capacity, please feel free to email us at GetRedPill76 at gmail.com. And as always, don't let fear take your freedom. <laughs>